Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, and I'm joined by none of my other co-hosts this week because I am interviewing two of our wonderful writers and developers, Travis Legg. Hello. And Michele Masala. Hello, everyone. Hello. I'm so happy to have you both here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. It's nice. Yeah, so we are in the last, I guess, third of the World Below's uh, backer kit crowdfunding as this is going on. I uh, think everybody who has uh, joined the campaign so far, who has backed, who has discussed the game, who's talking about it in our Discord. Uh, we've seen a bunch of actual plays. Like, there's so much happening with this game right now. I couldn't be more excited. I love it so much. And so we decided that instead of just doing the actual play with all the podcast hosts, we wanted to talk to some of the folks behind the world below. Um, so obviously, it's this is Matthew's baby, Matthew's baby game, uh, because everybody has their game that is their baby. I know that Michele is the Cyclops Cave. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, Travis's is probably Scarred Lands. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we all we all have our babies. Mine's mine's either Exalted Essence or Anima, probably knowing me. But yeah. So, what did uh, you work on for the world below, Travis? Do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I uh, the majority of the work that I did was in the sorceries section, mm -hmm. uh, and then I did a little bit. Um, I worked on the Church of Galthon. I think was the main sort of part outside of, you know, powers. And then I did kind of a, kind of a, I guess, second set of eyes pass on the entire uh, chapter that has like the thesis, and uh, the thesis and, and the, uh, uh, synthesis. yeah, uh, I did that whole, uh, I did kind of a secondary pass on all that. Just uh, Matthew reached out to me to say, Hey, you know, I, I wouldn't hurt at this point to have a second set of eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. Because um, Matthew uh, has been, I'm sure everybody has mentioned it, but I will mention it too. Matthew has been uh, working tirelessly to ensure that this game is as amazing as it can be. Oh, yeah. uh, and so uh, sometimes when you're, when you're that deep in a project, it, it's beneficial to, uh, uh, to, to reach out and bring somebody else in to say, hey, uh, you know, can we get a fresh perspective on this? So I was very, very honored and happy to be able to fulfill that role. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, having gone through a lot of them to do our character creation and everything. I am a fan of all of the powers. Uh, I really like how chaotic sorcery works. Well, thank you. Yeah. And that was uh, the, the whole story behind how that came together, uh, not to start us out on a bummer note, uh, but when I, when I initially came on to the game, uh, the idea was that Lee and I would be working on, on that mm. together. And uh, in fact, um, Matthew and Leith and I had a meeting uh, on mm. Zoom and like Matthew and I went to sleep and like woke up to the news that Leith had passed. So, I mean, it was that. We, oh, wow. We, it was yeah, like we that were, that soon. Yeah, we were that heavily into it and, that, and it was that mm. quick afterwards. So, so that was a bit uh, bittersweet working on that stuff, you know. Because uh, yeah. Leith, Leith was a friend. Um, obviously, I, I know he, he and Matthew had known each other for for years prior. But in the time that I had worked with Leith, we'd grown pretty close. So uh, that was that was a bit of a, of a bit of a sad element to it. But uh, you know, I will say that a lot of the skeletal structure for how that stuff worked uh, was due to Leith's incredible uh, design skills. So I just really had to kind of flesh things out and and make things fit with the uh, sort of iterations of design that took place afterward. 
Yeah, no, Leith was great. Um, for for those listeners who don't know, although I'm sure most of y'all do, uh, Leith Shields is one of our longtime uh, developers and writers who passed away uh, last year. Yeah, I, I believe so. Though uh, I still am uh, convinced that it's just really late in 2020 right now. I mean, same. Like I'm, I'm so time blind. <laughs> the other day, I was walking around my house and I was like, "It's 2022, right? No, no, it's not." I, I I hope I expect and hope that it will get better as uh, as our pandemic becomes an endemic. I guess. Right. But yeah. So, uh, Michaela, what did you work on for the game? Okay. Uh, well, uh, I can say that uh, uh, as a huge fan of dark fantasy, uh, I can't quite consider uh, the world below my baby because, as you rightfully said, it's Matthew's baby. Mm-hmm. And he deserves the credit for that. But I, I'm, I'm happy to see myself as a cool uncle for this game. So because I really, <laughs> really, uh, it's it immediately became one of my favorite games at Onyx Path. Uh, so I, I'm very, I love the world below uh, deeply. No pun intended there. Uh, I wrote uh, a lot of the world below because uh, I wrote two big chapters. Which were originally one, but were split into two because I wrote too much, <laughs> and they were the uh, they are now and uh, not shown to the public yet as the time we're recording this. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if they will when uh, will be uh, the podcast we release. They are the storytelling chapter with all the advice for for story guides, uh, which come goes from. Uh, uh, well, how to set up a chronicle, like uh, uh, points to explore, points to consider. There's uh, uh, plot hooks of all sorts, uh, way to uh, f- structure uh, a plot in mind that fits the genre, mm-hmm. uh, widgets of various sorts, like uh, guidance on how to match generational games, and guidance on how to make the settlements feel alive, and all that sort of stuff in the story guide uh, part of the book and uh, I also uh, had the pleasure and honor of making all the monsters and the antagonists of the world below all the list of critters nightmares and uh, stuff that uh, uh, unlike the cool powers that uh, help your characters I have made all the things that is, are gonna ruin their day <laughs> yeah no uh, the monsters in this game are scary <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we have we have narrowly avoided a few of them over uh, the course of our actual play as as, as listeners have heard uh, we have avoided some rust nights we ran away ah, from them. those are one of my favorites i am <laughs> those are okay the rust nights are fun because they are a concept i had made in mind for a monster like 10 years ago and i have waited for a, a, an occasion to put them somewhere in a way that well felt fitting and um, i really have to thank uh, Matthew, uh, because Matthew trusted me wholly uh, while working on the world below, and that, that matters so much to me. And so I felt, Michele, this is the time to uh, find a home for your Rust Knights. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of them. They are one of my favorites. I have uh, five, uh, four or five that I think are among my favorites. So I'm glad that, that you got to see them. Well, we got to hear them and then run away <laughs> because we're all playing kitchen guild characters and we're not very good at fighting. 
<laughs> well, and that's one thing that uh, I want to sort of hammer home about the world below too is that is uh, frequently a a perfectly valid strategy. <laughs> Sometimes your your best bet is just uh, to run from the thing. Um, hey, Matthew told me, Michele, make some dark fantasy monsters, and I'm a huge fan of uh, stuff like. Uh, uh, like I always say that uh, Legacy of Cain was formative for me. Then mm -hmm. there's Berserk, then there's Bloodborne and the various Dark Souls at the Ring, Hollow Knight, which I love a lot, like Matthew does. And yep. so I just had a chance to make my love for dark fantasy, which is my favorite kind of fantasy. And which fantasy, as my baby Cyclops gave, and which for the academies can attest, I do love fantasy. Uh, and so I just unleashed all my uh, my passion for the genre in there. So I made a lot of monsters and uh, scary ones too. Yeah, I mean that's I. So I was not involved in the production of World Below, uh, which means that I get the extreme pleasure of coming to it with fresh eyes, um, and, and seeing it all for the first time around the same time that most of the fans are seeing it. Uh, which I like. I find this setting to be really, really unique, um, yeah. even among like dark fantasy settings. Is there anything particular that y'all think sticks out about it, or that, that sets it apart? Well, uh, I think uh, that's a combination of elements that feel familiar to the genre, but are also uh, quite uh, independent, and they, uh, everything has its own strong identity, which mm -hmm. is uh, supported by uh, the ideas and elements of the setting that we all work together to create. That uh, I think that the it's the identity of the world below that makes it different from say, um, uh, and I'm not saying this in an, uh, uh, a critical way because mm -hmm. I do like it, but it's different from say an underdark, uh, which is a, a, a setting underground. It's really a place with an. Uh, feeling and a vibe of its own which combines uh, different kinds uh, of horror different kinds of fantasy and there's elements of wonder fear discovery hope rebellion all thrown together in a way that's uh it was planned very well i think mm -hmm. and travis yeah, uh, I I agree 100% uh, with Michaela's uh, assessment there, but also some of the things that really, in addition, sort of stand out to me is uh, the idea that the presence of chaos and how that affects the setting, um, the idea that uh, there is an in-world reason why everything can go sideways and, and the rug can be yanked out from underneath you at any given moment. Um, mm -hmm because of the shifting nature of the world below. But also, uh, I love how that manifests in uh, the various sort of uh, dialectics and how those can alter your character, both spiritually and physically. Uh, I've been playing in an actual play that Matthew's been running, uh, and I've just positively fallen in love with my little hobgob uh, scarab, <laughs> uh, M. Glitterstone. Uh, and... and Exploring how how those manifest in play, I think, is is really fun and is going to be a great deal of joy for the players. Oh, the, yes, the characters are definitely unique. There's something that I know it's not something that everyone agrees to, 
But if I play a fantasy game, I want my characters to look like uh, uh, fantastical people. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's uh, in the world below, everyone, uh, even when part of their character comes from a familiar source, everyone is different from a reason or another because of all the paths that make them. So they look different, they act different, and uh, their powers are, are cool in a way that's only world below cool, so to say. Yeah, I'm definitely on the same page as you. Whenever I see my my boyfriend, whenever he plays fantasy games, he always just makes like a human who looks vaguely like him. And I'm like, what? Why? Why? Yeah, say it for me. No, I, I, I have fantasy people. Let me be, um, I don't know, uh, a squid person or whatever, like an yeah, like, animal. <laughs> at, at, at the bare minimum, I want to be like an elf, you know, like I want to be something a little different. Uh, but if you give me a weird character option, I'm probably going to take it. Like, my character in our actual play has been an Intisia Mycelae. Uh, so I'm a snake with mushrooms growing out of me. Probably. <laughs> Which I think is fun. It sees. I love it. And it makes for the, the combinations that are possible are, are, are so cool. Because, um, you know, you have these various different... Uh, elements that you pull from when you when you build your character, and all of those can shape that character in multiple ways. It's not. Um, I like that things, uh, all of the sort of toggles, be it uh, from whatever paths you're choosing, uh, they're not so much prescriptive as they are like uh, they offer guidelines. You know, so you can have uh, five different characters that are all the same uh, dialectic that all appear radically differently. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it, I, I was very excited when we were making characters and Matthew was encouraging me to make my character look however I wanted because I decided that my Antissia didn't have legs uh, because I have played snake people in multiple other games and I enjoy playing snake people. Uh, as, as, as you know, I have played a snake person in Scarlands. I've played a snake person in Bugmire. <laughs> and I have now played a snake person in the world below. And for some reason, I guess I really like snake people, which goes back to... Uh, a conversation we've had on the podcast many times about a video game I used to play as a child called Primal Rage. Oh, oh okay. Yep, I, I think I recall that one. <laughs> I'm also fond of snakes, so I totally understand. Yeah, like I don't want one in real life, really. I, 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 don't, I don't think they're super fun pets. Uh, apologies to any snake owners out there. If you think they're fun, that's great. Uh, but I do like them aesthetically. So what kind of influences did you two bring when you started working on The World Below? Oh, uh, I can. I think it's safe to say that um, there is definitely some Scarredlands DNA in The World Below. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, I, I, that was something that uh, Matthew and I discussed, different ways to sort of uh, pull some of the, the feel and the themes of that. And uh, I guess eagle-eyed... Scarlands fans, I think we'll see some potential connections uh, between the settings as they mm -hmm. look through. Um, but also, you know, it was a, it was sort of a uh, touchstone in the power design. Uh, you know, looking at what some of those what some of those powers did and how they functioned. Uh, so that was uh, that was a big influence. Um, and I think too, uh, at least for me, I. Uh, you know, I always think of when I'm working on something that's like a darker fantasy, I, I always think back to like some of the uh, cartoons and movies that I saw as a child and how to uh, incorporate the feeling that those um, that those created. Uh, there's always 
Uh, anytime I get anywhere near fantasy, there's going to be some Masters of the Universe vibes uh, that mm-hmm. I'm going to draw on. It's just, it's ingrained in me. Um, also, probably, uh, you know, a, a bit of Conan the Barbarian, a bit of uh, Thunder the Barbarian, a bit of, um, you know, uh, like some of the, like, Fire and Ice and some of the more, the like Bashki cartoons and stuff like oh, I, that. I haven't thought about fire and ice in a hot minute. <laughs> it's a, it's a really, really cool, uh, card. interesting, uh, production process on it. And then, then of course, yeah. you know, heavy metal, which is the, the obvious, the heavy metal cartoons is obviously, a always an influence as well, but those are the kinds of things that I was sort of, uh, leaning on a bit, but also, uh, trying to make a point that whenever I wasn't, um, Whenever I wasn't drawing directly from those from those mm-hmm. for inspiration, trying to kind of go in an opposite direction of them, go in a direction that's not necessarily expected from those things. You know, if if it felt too close to that, I knew I needed to shift in another direction because this is a new and interesting and uh, singular sort of setting. Uh, it really, to me, feels like something that has familiar elements but has never been done before and mm-hmm. so i wanted to make sure that i you know was was being truthful to that uh when referencing those those um inspirations and keeping them in the realm of inspiration and saying well sometimes you know where they turned left we absolutely need to turn right here uh to be distinctive and to to make things uh, interesting and fun and and uh surprising and engaging to the to the players I've been thinking a lot recently about how much uh, scarier we allowed children's media to be when we were kids. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, that yeah. is something that I think of often is, like, I used to watch things that were actually pretty grotesque, but were meant for children. Like, I I, I know people who say they were scarred by things like the uh, Dark Crystal, you know? And I'm like, oh, I, I just liked it. <laughs> I liked weird things. Like, my favorite movie as a kid was Labyrinth. Uh, which is, you know, a little dark. Yeah, there's some, and there's some uh, extremely dark moments in some of those things too that are otherwise relatively innocuous. Uh, I go back to, I always think of the never-ending story when this comes up. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's Artax. a fun fantasy movie. Oh, Artex. Now I'm scarred for life. Great. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was a Goosebumps kid and, uh, and still aspire to write uh, uh, some books in the vein of that, so... I totally understand. Yeah, no, I was a uh, Scholastic Book Fair Goosebumps person mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I definitely bought all of them. Um, and some of them scared me. I was, I, I, I was a scary story to tell in the dark kid. Uh, which, th- those illustrations alone are enough to give you nightmares. See, those never got to Italy. I had to recover them late. Oh, later. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I, it was always a reference I missed because they, it's not part of our uh, uh, cultural trauma. We have some others. <laughs> <laughs> Those were like a, a, a staple when I was a kid. There were, I think, three total. Um, and I definitely read all of them many times and scared myself a lot. It's free. I can see them from where I stand right now. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any influences that you brought into this, uh, Michaela, that might be a little different? Because you're both, I think, a little younger than Travis, and also, you know, you're 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 in Italy, so you probably have different touchstones. 
like I said, I tapped a lot into my love for dark fantasy. Hollow Knight, of course, was a core inspiration of things. Mm-hmm. But Matthew really gave me the authorization to go off and do my thing, which I don't think he regrets, but I definitely provided a lot to him. So he told me, you can do... We need to have fantasy, we need to have some horror, which goes from uh, uh, like uh, more slasher kind of horror or more descent kind of horror to cosmic. And mm-hmm. uh, horror, uh, dark fantasy is my second favorite genre and horror is my first one. And I do love cosmic horror, so there, there's some of that in there. Uh, and also, like I mentioned, there's Hollow Knight, there's all the Dark Souls, there's a bit of Castlevania because I love that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ring and Bloodborne there. There's uh, one of my, well, I made all the monsters, but one of my, uh, another bunch of my favorites are the Maxi, which I know were, were, were very well received by both Matthew and Rich. And the Maxi, which are, well, let's say, let's call them the World Below Answer to Vampires without spoiling much because there are some twists there. Uh, I, they owe quite a bit to how uh, some vampires work in uh, Soul River and Legacy of Cain because uh, uh, that was my when Michele f- fell in love with dark fantasy. So uh, I back I went back fittingly to the well uh, for that sort of stuff. And also yes, that- well I I have like uh, a thousand of hours across the various the various from f- software games and. Uh, Almost as much in Monster Hunter, so I'm I love making monsters. <laughs> I feel like there are some people that just have like an affinity for that. It's 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 not my strongest suit, uh. So I always think it's very cool that other people have that in their brain, just making scary, weird things out of their imagination. <laughs> it's part of the fun. I uh, from between different things, different projects. These uh, past couple of years, I made. Uh, I think 100k uh, words of monster for Onyx Path, so that's something. <laughs> You're like our monster person now. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's something that I always admired uh, uh, in Leaf as well. And uh, Leaf, uh, I have to say, even before I got to work for Onyx Path, uh, on the forums, he, wo- he always believed in me, even when I was just a name on the forum. So. It's cool to uh, gain uh, the title like uh, E and uh, Chris Allen have of uh, uh, resourceful monster creators, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, there's a really good bestiary in the world below. I mean, I'm 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 not just saying that because Michaela's on here. I have I've, I've gone through it. It is very diverse in terms of things you can encounter. Um, there's everything from your, your, your oozes and your dragons that you would expect to find. Although I wouldn't honestly have expected to find dragons in the world below when I first heard about it. And so I, I, I love that that's part of it. Oh yes. I can't, no, I can't make fantasy without dragons. That's how I feel. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just always think of dragons as needing like the sky, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I had to find a way for them to fit in there. So they are a little bit different in the world below as well. And there's a creature 
that I'm proud to say it's sort of of a dragon, but isn't. Who made the the cover of the world below the of the standard edition? So that's oh, yeah. a dragon-like-ish creature that uh, people will meet and likely run away from because it's a big one. I would, and which which one is that? Uh, I think I I can bet that the one on the cover of the world below is the worm sect. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So there's there's also worm sex, <laughs> which are kind of like dragons, but they're not as smart, right? Uh, they're because the dragon you can talk to basically mm-hmm. the world below. Even they tend to be jerks because it fits with the setting with uh, people like the well liches tend to hoard the resources, and so also the dragon tend to be uh, more monstro on the monstro side of things. But you can definitely chat with the dragons in the world below. The worm sex in, in, instead are just uh, are smart, but they are bug smart. They are not interested in talking with anyone. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, based on our, our our short actual play so far, I I don't think a lot of things in the world below are interested in talking <laughs> as much as they are interested in digesting you. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that one will want to eat you. Uh, so my, my chapter, the the storytelling part, uh, as a Lots of stuff that encourages you to bond with others, to create uh, uh, a settlement, and mm-hmm. uh, there's where I put where I put the the encouraging, hopeful, and wonder of uh, side of the world below. And then I put that aside and wrote the antagonist chapters, which is not hopeful at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is good to have that, that balance there, you know, because. Playing a game where it's all depressing all the time is not fun for me or anybody, really. I mean, I guess some people like it because I've seen the games people play, but it's, 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 it's not for me. You need some levity and some, like, hopeful moments in there. Oh, yes, absolutely. I agree. 100%, yeah. And, and one of the things I just wanted to uh, bring up the touch base on because you mentioned, you know, everything in the world below wanting to eat you. Um, <laughs> I think that's one of the interesting things about the setting is... Uh, and one of the things that sort of um, marks it as a survival-based uh, setting is the importance of of food, not only for the player characters, but also for the monsters. Like, there's a strong motivation in the setting to get food to put in, in, in your belly and to avoid being food in someone else's. Uh, and I think that's really cool that that's ingrained on a setting level into into the world below. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, uh, Mietti and and Danielle were playing members of the Kitchen Guild, um, and that's never that's something that you don't really see in RPGs often, unless they're like cozy RPGs, you know. Like cooking as a profession is not usually a thing in in most games, and I like that in the world below, gathering food, feeding people, cooking food, and obviously trying not to become monster food. Uh, are all really important because th- that's that's something that you know most people do every day and and need to do. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that I think uh, a lot of fantasy settings uh, gloss over, which is fine for them because it's not that's not the point, right? You know, you, you, in your D and D, you get characters that are proficient with cooks utensils, so yay, you can you know help during a short rest, and that's fine. That's all that requires, but but placing it in a place where it's more centered uh, in the concept of the game, I think is an interesting and, and fun choice. And I think that it, 
informs a lot of your gameplay because you can have an entire uh, chronicle that's literally about like how are we going to get how are we going to keep the settlement fed like that's going to be our 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 main question throughout this entire uh, chronicle is how are we going to get enough food for the next calm you know mm-hmm. and and that to me is is uh, it's very interesting uh, play space because it's not something that a lot of games encourage you to explore. Yeah, it crosses with some uh, ideas of other post-apocalyptic games. Like uh, sometimes it's a plotline that you can see arise in uh, in Fallout or in Horizon Zero Dawn and such. So I think it's very fitting, and it speaks to the idea that uh, you uh, are encouraged to care about the people around you. Yeah, exactly. And um, how how does that play into the generational play? If you want to explain that a little bit. Mikaela, like, because the only like I haven't played many generational play games. The main one I know of is I think Birthright, uh, but it it's not something that I'm super familiar with. I haven't played either, but I have read Pendragon and I've uh, heard Pendragon, good right. things about uh, the generational play. It's definitely not something for everyone because people, uh, understandably, it's part of uh, RPGs. Will want to have their characters and. Uh, keep them around for as long as possible until the campaign ends. But uh, mm-hmm. I can think about that there are some uh, JRPGs which I played where they have you uh, switch in generation as you play. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes happens. And uh, it's a, it's definitely a, a, an unusual experience for RPGs. Uh, but uh, I think there's some strength in that. Uh, I can recall that... Uh, uh, I wrote in my section there, uh, where I give, give some advice on that, that uh, something that allows you to uh, do time skips and which has uh, some uh, narrative and uh, mechanical benefits, mm-hmm. uh, depending on uh, how you, uh, the previous generation did with their own skills, with their setting, and also allows you to... Uh, to change uh, perspectives because uh, it's not as obvious, but uh, nothing s- stops you from uh, having a generation that perhaps uh, uh, stops an evil cult from the world below from unleashing something horrible. Mm-hmm. And then this, uh, the following generation, uh, they are children of the cultists that fled uh, and now they confront themselves uh, with uh, what happened to their parents uh, if they want mm-hmm. to uh, follow the steps of the evil cult, if they want to uh, perhaps consider, if they want vengeance, or if they want to, or if they want answers. So there's always that element of time and progression, and that. Uh, I'm going to quote one of my favorite games here, which is Life is Strange, which mm-hmm. the, is, is that uh, choices uh, have consequences. And uh, it's something that uh, you can see very clearly through generational play. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, mm, I think uh, something that I think it's important to consider, which uh, perhaps will have people uh, be more in line with the idea, it's that nothing forces you to have a generational play that skips for uh, 50 years and the last for 100 sessions. You can skip for five years and do a bunch, a short chronicle there, then skip again of more. It's a tool that you, you can set however it works best for your table. So it's there not to uh, force you to say goodbye to your characters, but to give their actions a meaning 
uh, across the tapestry of the world below. Yeah, that's that's super cool. And I do like that you, you point out that you don't have to play like the direct descendants of your characters. I know a lot of people hear generational and that's that's where they go. They're like, oh, I got to play my character's kids. And it's like, no, you don't. You can play somebody else from the settlement. As you said, you can play somebody who is like the the child of a former antagonist and look at things from their point of view. It's a really good way to kind of reset your game while still playing the same game. Yeah, oh, yeah. Kind of... agree. oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying that I agree with Dixie. Please go ahead, Travis. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it reminded me a bit of uh, Ars Magica in, in the way mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, the campaign would be structured uh, to where everybody kind of has their main character and then you can swap in other characters that are that are involved. So there's nothing to say that you couldn't be like, you know, we're playing, uh, you know, one person's going to take their character from the first group and then the rest of them are going to play uh, people that are, uh, you know, younger members of the settlement or so on and sort of take that aspect to it as well. Uh, so there's a number of ways you can tackle it, but that kind of stuff has always intrigued me uh, and always struck me as being a a cool and f fun way to explore a setting because you can see it through different eyes within the, the framework of the same campaign. Yeah, no, that is super, super cool. I I like the idea, like I said, that you, you could like reset it. You can, you know, like like you're saying, bring on a like mentor character for new players. That could be really fun. Uh, there's so many ways to explore that, and it also means that you can play with a bunch of the different, you know, uh, dialectics and and callings and things in the game, which is really cool. Uh, so how is it working uh, on a Storypath Ultra game? This would have been one of the, I mean. Probably the second one for Michele, I'm assuming? First one for Travis? It was the first for me. Okay, I thought RPG Anthology had the rules in it, but I guess you weren't working on that. It, it happened later. That. Okay, okay, okay. And because uh, times in this industry are weird. You know this better than Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know when anything happened. Once again, like, I got... I got the world below delivered to me like three weeks ago so we could do the actual play. And that's the first time I've seen it. So I don't know when anything happened. Uh, but yeah, how is how do you all feel about StoryPath Ultra, the, the new iteration of the StoryPath system? I absolutely love it. it there, there were some initial speed bumps in sort of figuring out how exactly the sort of widgets are going to interact with one another. But I think mm -hmm. that's because if my memory serves properly... Uh, D was still doing some tweaks on like the core engine when we started working on the world below. Um, mm -hmm. So that some of that was uh, kind of flinging ourselves off of a cliff and building a plane on the way down, which I actually kind of love uh, <laughs> doing. Uh, so that was exciting and exhilarating for me. Um, but now seeing it in play and seeing how it all came together. Yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked about it. It's uh, it's, I think a, faster system mm -hmm. uh, i think it's uh i think it's less fiddly i think it has clearer bumpers on the ends of it without le without sacrificing any of the sort of narrative first skill forward kind of uh core ethos of story path uh which which i'm all for i, I really i really dig it uh i'm really excited to see what else comes of it and i'm very glad to see that uh that the powers that be decided to um really give it its first full showing in a new setting uh, mm -hmm. so that we can sort of establish kind of some of the 
the base expectations without having any baggage from another setting on it. Um, but also give us then that, that room to experiment and kind of see well, what kind of cool things that are outside of the box. Um, you know, I think that had we chosen to like do, you know, say for example, do like Scion first for Ultra or whatever. Um, right. I think that that would have uh, been a greater obstacle in exploring the design and, and getting the, the uh, getting everything sort of fine tuned because we would have had to sort of uh address some of the expectations you know and mm -hmm. which is not to say to take anything away from the the version of ultra that appears in uh the they came from anthology uh but that is as you'll see if you're back in the world below and you're looking at all the sort of expanded systems that are in play uh what you're getting in the anthology is definitely a no bells and whistles stripped down speed run version <laughs> of ultra by comparison you know? Yeah, it's very similar to the version that's that's in the brochure that we put out. It's just like, here's the system, basically, you know? Right, and it's functional, and it works fine, and it, too, is fast and smooth and, and, and I think, intuitive. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the world below, I, I just think it was a really, really good idea to uh, choose sort of this new setting with uh, all new elements, no expectations going in, to really uh, bring forth a full iteration of the system because... Uh, that gave us that gave us room to play, and we were able to sort of uh, really just kind of focus on what's in the room, and that's something you don't always get to do um, when you're designing, especially if you're designing like a new edition of a game, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you there are whether you acknowledge them or not, there are expectations and there are presuppositions, and all those things exist uh, when you're when you're doing an edition shift. Yeah, we had a lot of that when we were working on Essence, where Monica and Neil would come to me and be like, this this absolutely has to be in the book. And I'd be like, why? And they're like, because it, it has to be to make this exalted. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I will bow to your knowledge. But there are systems that I was like, we could just throw that out, right? And they're like, no, everybody will expect it to be in there. Whereas with the world below, like you were just saying, there's no expectation, really, aside from it's going to be underground. Because you've been talking about that. Right. The only the only frameworks that we have are the ones that uh, you know Matthew established at Go. We don't have, you know, twenty books or like in the yeah. in the example of Exalted, you know, thirty years of of this continuity. Twenty two. Uh, twenty two years. <laughs> it also came out in two thousand one. <laughs> again, time time all melts together. But yeah, I mean that's that's two decades of expectations. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's two two decades of people saying, well, this has to work this way because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and with The World Below, nobody is picking that book up going, this has to work this way because of X, Y, and Z. They all get to ooh and ah at it and say, oh, uh, this is neat. So, yeah, I just uh, I think it was a brilliant choice, and I think it, it worked out well uh, in terms of developing Ultra as well because I think some of the, some of the problems that we created and solved during The World Below <laughs> uh, will help enrich for future... Uh, future ultra games as well uh yes i for example when i start uh started to write for the world below mm -hmm. uh, daniel uh, d uh, where uh, wasn't quite done with the system yet and right. i had received a couple uh of widgets uh crunch widgets from matthew to base some elements of the antagonist on that uh, i used across the whole text but i think they went they were scrapped through development because uh, of lessons learned along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but uh, I have to say that the, the story path ultra uh, that uh, I mentioned this the other day is something that happened because uh, thanks to lessons learned uh, from the years of story path mm-hmm. and also uh, because it's absolutely worth repeating uh, D has the merit to having worked out on uh, story path ultra and D is one of, of the absolute best crunch crafters in the whole RPG industry right now. So the system is just that good of a, a mechanism to work wonders with. And it was such a pleasure for me because I had these tools that D had made for me. Mm-hmm. And I had to build up a system because, well, the story guide chapter had not much when it comes to mechanics. Right. So there's not that much in there. Just some mm, playful things that you can do with skills and experience I had in there. But when it comes to antagonists, I had to build uh, uh, from nothing uh, a mm-hmm. system to make uh, everything work. So it was uh, really uh, having uh, a bunch of tools and uh, having fun to create uh, a whole monster's house from nothing in there, so it was very very cool. And the at the end result, uh, the those uh, uh, widgets of mine uh, that uh, were removed were rightfully removed because I uh, do agree that uh, by the time other games like At the Gates rolled in in writing, we had uh, already moved past those because uh, it's the right choice. I think uh, uh, at the time, it was something to play with, but uh, we understood that they didn't work as well in practice as they did in theory by the time uh, development of the world below happened and uh, the first draft of At the Gates happened too. So that, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I have to say that the Story Path Ultra, and I say this as someone who do, does love Story Path, uh, a Story Path, let's call it that, a lot. Uh, Ultra is just... Uh, an improvement uh, across the whole line, I think. So it's yeah, it's so much uh, stronger and easy to use, uh, and uh, all its parts are more mean- meaningful. There's not something that you say, okay, the books adds adds this part, but we gonna ignore it at the table because it doesn't change much. No, everything in there uh, that. Uh, Ended up being story path, becoming story path ultra is just so good. So it was very, very cool working with that. Yeah, I had occasion recently to look at the uh, early Scion books because I was working on something for Scion, and I occasionally have to, you know, cross reference uh, like names of gods and things. And uh, it it really is amazing how far this system has come in the like what six years ish it's been out. Uh, because, yeah, we, like starting with Scion, Origin, and Hero, um, that was really the, the first time a lot of people saw it, and then it got a, a little bit more elegant in Trinity, and then it got a little bit more elegant and they came from, and then it just kept like getting a little more refined, a little more refined, um, until finally we're like, okay, let's do a new version of it, Story Path Ultra, yeah. here you go. This is Story Path with everything we've learned from the past five years, you know? Well, and it's yeah. interesting, too, because um, those lessons we're not they're they're all applied kind of universally in the design ethos of ultra 
Mm -hmm. uh, but they all come from very different ways because the way that Cyan developed out through its path uh, took a very different path than the way that they came from developed out from its path and then the way mm -hmm. that Trinity Continuum developed out through its path. So we just kind of took, were able to take lessons from these totally different, totally disparate uh, sort of directions that the core story path had, had grown into mm -hmm. and sort of distill all that now into one sleek uh, oh yeah, setting, and I think that that uh, is very much to its strength, and very much to to D's credit for being able to parse all of that. <laughs> yeah, it's not... I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the where the way health works in Storybook Ultra derives from uh, why the way health works, uh, not in Sion or in Trinity, but in they came from because I people seem mm -hmm. to enjoy that. So that's that's uh, just an example out of many. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we've 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 talked internally a lot about how they came from was was probably you know because it was the the last iteration of Story Path. It was one mm -hmm. of the iterations of Story Path because Matthew got to strip down some stuff that we knew had caused confusion over the years, right? Like, don't don't get any of us started on scale. Um, none of us are talking <laughs> yeah. about scale. Yes, <laughs> we all have weird <laughs> scale related trauma. Uh, <laughs> I I like scale, but we don't have scale in Story Path Ultra. <laughs> I like scale too, but the, like trying to explain to folks over the years yeah. that it was supposed to be narrative and they're supposed to apply it as a narrative device, not as like a hard and fast math equation, uh, just got to be a lot after a while. Well, that's no, one we, of the, we, we took that lesson in. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the uh, things that, that is, I think, uh, a grand improvement on Ultra's part, but also a bit of a. Uh, again, to the credit of being able to introduce it through a new setting, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because we can sort of cl cleanse the palate of the audience and say, no, let's put away all these sort of notions that you have before, and mm -hmm. this is how we are going to address it. And I do think that the uh, advantage mechanic uh, much more cleanly and clearly uh, articulates what scale was initially intending to articulate. I think oh yes, it's all part of a process. I think. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, Dixie said, uh, they came from uh, coming last. Uh, at the, I already learned some lessons from Trinity and Sion, and then uh, Beyond the Grave improved from what Beneath the Sea had, and so did Classified uh, from Beyond the Grave, and so we got to the one who got praised the most for its mechanics, which is Light Corps Escape, which I'm mentioning is totally by chance right now. Listen, I say it every time the opportunity arises, and I'm going to say it again, Cyclops' Cave is probably my favorite role-playing game at this point. Oh, I know, you always tell me, Travis, but I'm very thankful that you do. I haven't gotten to play it yet. I want to play oh, it we, we'll have to fix that someday. Yeah, we got to sort that out somewhere. Yeah, no, I I played a lot of Beyond the Grave and Camp Murder Lake uh, just because it's the ones that most of my friends gravitate toward. And also, I, I wrote on Beyond the Grave, so I'm always like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll play a game I worked on. That's always fun, you know? Which of my antagonists are you going to throw at me? <laughs> because much much like you wrote the monsters for that, I wrote about a third of the antagonists for Beyond the Grave. I remember. You were, wrote some of my favorites. I had to discover when you mentioned them bit by bit, and I'm putting the pieces together. <laughs> Yeah, no, they were a lot of fun. Getting to write all all three types of vampire was was fun, and I especially liked writing the zombies because I've always been a zombie movie fan. Uh, any zombie movie, it it it, it could be terrible. Like I just like zombie movies. I, I don't know, it's a whole thing. 
so I, I do want to talk a little bit about your individual uh, sections before we close this out. Travis, I know that you did, like, like you said, all the sorcery um, and then worked a little bit on the uh, thesis and synthesis. Are there any powers you're particularly like excited about or proud of or just th is, is there a, a mechanic or the way something works that you're super into? Because I had so much fun reading through those sections and picking out the ones I was going to use for myself. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I really do like all the chaosist powers. Um, I, I really mm -hmm. had a, a blast sort of putting those together. Uh, there's a couple of little winks and nods at other things. Uh, I believe we have a power called Black Blood of the Earth, um, which uh, if you're at all a, a John Carpenter fan, you'll recognize exactly where that reference comes from. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a transmutation power, it looks like. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And um, yeah, it was just they were they were all uh, so fun to, to work with doing some of the uh, some of the things where um, the thing that I kind of enjoyed the most was playing around with. Uh, the idea of these powers sort of imparting the status effects on folks mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes on the user. Um, that was a cool uh, play space for me to sort of uh, experiment with because I had never really designed powers that worked quite that way. Um, yeah, it's like it's like the wild magic in like D&D. &D, a little where... bit, yeah. Yeah, where, like, weird shit happens when you use your powers, especially if you use them a lot in a short amount of time. Like, in our actual play, I, I, I poisoned myself by using Ominous Strike. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. Yeah, that, that, uh, that, that can occur. And I think that D raised the ambient chaos by one at one point using a sorcery. Yeah, yeah, there can be some, some downright nasty effects to it. And it's funny, um, because, you know, talk about things going through uh, iterations and sort of figuring out the where the footing was in the system initially mm -hmm. uh all the sorceries were uh individually more complicated in their design um mm -hmm. but didn't have uh that whole element of sort of uh chaotic retaliation being across the board thing came in fairly late in the design game uh because initially we had set it up where like each sorcery had its own sort of if you screw this up this is what happens kind of thing oh, okay um and that just got unwieldy i think uh i think rightfully so matthew was like we should probably uh switch the way we're doing that and i was like that's fair <laughs> yeah i like i like that it's all just on a table of 20 yeah it's it's simple it's sleek it's fast um uh and and but i think we still also preserved all that sort of cool um i think we really were able to preserve everything that was cool about the about the sorceries uh while sort of streamlining the consequences um, cause yeah, it could have, it, it was, it, it, it was probably a little bit over-designed. Um, and, and I think that its current iteration is, uh, is smooth, clean, fast. And that's, that's the thing that I love the most about it is that you can, you know, uh, pick your sorcery, do your thing. Uh, you, you know, effectively, uh, how it's going to affect the table and you know, the potential for consequences when it does affect the table. Um, and it's all, it's all quick and easy to reference. Um, yeah. I, I did also have a great deal of joy working, uh, with Michaela on the, there are a couple of, of sorceries where that involve like summoning a creature or animating a creature or things like that. Mm -hmm. And, right. uh, and we, we kind of got 
uh, and I say this in, in the best and most loving and, and absolute, uh, most respectful way. We got we kind of got in the mud about that a little bit, you know. And and that's where I find design is the most fun when you have two designers that are working on their their respective areas, and they really get in and start wrestling back and forth to find the best uh, way to bring the idea forward. And I mm-hmm. think that I think that the world below definitely benefits from that. Um, mm-hmm. Because we we worked very hard to sort of make sure that all of this was going to allow you to bring sort of these cool kind of pet mechanics and stuff in there, which I know a lot of people like having. Um, mm-hmm. I per- I personally love having. I designed a wizard subclass for Skyrlands that when you hit your capstone, you can have like five familiars at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I like having pets. Um, so being able to work through that it was super cool, and be, and I, I really love all the way that all those powers work. The uh, there's one in particular that um, uh, Michaela and I went back and forth on that involves ripping someone's skeleton out, basically, and turning it oh, into a, a minion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of fun. Lots of fun stuff. Again, very horrifying, very quick. <laughs> yeah, just it, to me, and to me, it's it's horrifying, but also hilarious, right? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna pull your bones out and then use you to fight your friends. <laughs> like that's that's funny to me. That's, yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've, I've mentioned on, on the podcast before, I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3 um, as a spore druid, and so whenever I, I kill an enemy, I'm like, oh, new zombie, hello, <laughs> and just raise, raise a little mushroom zombie. Right, very, very, much, very much. I think there was a line in an episode of Angel, perhaps, like, oh, they brought us weapons. That was very nice of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I also, so was it Matthew's original idea or is it something that, that y'all came up with together about letting, first of all, I love that everybody in a setting has access to magic. Like that's just cool. And it totally circumvents a lot of problems I have playing some other fantasy games. Um, because I've definitely played games where it's like, oh, here's your sorcerer. He can do everything super cool. And I'm playing a fighter. So I hit it with my sword and that's all I do every turn. I think that's something that Matthew always wanted to be for the Wobbly Yes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was that was in the DNA from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, the the way that we went about it. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, now that I think about it, I don't think that uh, chaotic like the tethering wild chaos changed a whole lot. There was a lot of mm-hmm. uh, that was one of those places where we found a lot of opportunities to clarify before it ever got out into the wild. Right. More as we start looking at um, the way certain things were interacting and stuff, like okay, well, we need to make sure that this is articulated clearly and this is articulated clearly. But yeah. The, as far as like the core, the way the engine runs on it, it was pretty much uh, the, the, from the start, and that was all. That was Leith's uh, Leith's design uh, entirely. Was 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 the the uh, tethering stuff. I just I just added in widgets to clarify stuff. You know, as, as we found that it needed to be. Yeah, the, the last chat I have with Leaf, it's me and uh, him and I discussing uh, uh, the chaos, local chaos levels and how monster might change those. And we were all, all very excited about exchanging ideas there. It's something I I keep that chat there. It's a bittersweet thing, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did not work as closely with, with Leith as some of y'all did, but it was, it was very, very sad. And I'm glad that a lot of his DNA is still in this book. Um, I think that's a fitting tribute. He, he loved RPGs. He loved working on them. It was pretty much his favorite thing. 
So uh, it is it is nice that a lot of his thoughts and ideas carried over and that you were able to preserve some of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, and he was super stoked about the setting and super stoked about working on it. Uh, you know, we had this, every conversation we had about this setting in particular was uh, really upbeat and uh, very excite, exciting. Um, so, yeah, it just it, it felt, it, you know, it felt cool to know that we could sort of carry that forward and not have to, uh, you know, be able to keep a lot of a lot of what Leith had originally put on the page. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so yeah, so I, I I love how chaos works in this. I love the sorceries. I really do love how um, you're not locked into like one set of powers. You can take powers from some of the other sets as long as you fulfill the the, the prereqs. Um, and I also love how they're not all like combat specific powers. Like you can use them all in combat, but you can use them all in other ways too. Yeah, that was important. Trying to have things that were uh, multi-utilitarian was important to us. Having uh, multiple means of accessing power was important to us. And it's not always going to be necessarily easy, right? Like if you're mm -hmm. trying to reach outside of sort of your um, your wheelhouse, that's going to take a little bit of extra investment and a little bit of extra forethought when you're making a character. But having said that, though, there are a lot of ways that you can sort of uh, cross over and diversify your power pro profile and, and, and really do, do cool stuff. And where that fails, if you look at a power and you're like, this is really cool. My character does not have a path to this power. There's no reason you can't duplicate a similar effect with Tethering Wild Chaos. It just means that you're engaging that effect in a different fashion with different risks and consequences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is something that didn't come up as much during our game, but I think it's a really cool system, the the, the tethering system. This wasn't something that we really super dug into, uh, but I, I want to look at it for later because I definitely want to play this game more <laughs> and in longer sessions than like an hour at a time. <laughs> in my experience uh, so far, just through actual plays that we've done for promotion and stuff, I think that maybe sometimes... Uh, players might get a little gun shy about tethering because of the the higher risk to it. Uh, mm -hmm. And to that, I say dive in and take the risk because there's so much fun to be had there. You know, uh, go for it. Uh, knock yourself out. And if you want to be really good at it, play a chaosist because uh, they get bonuses where other people get penalties due to the chaos level. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm often the kick down the door player. So, you know, I would be here for <laughs> using some wild chaos magic. Uh, so before we uh, finish up, Michaela, I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite uh, antagonists. I know that you are, you have a really specific uh, fear, I believe, that might have played into some of this. Yes, uh, I do happen to have this uh, phobia of uh, fungi and parasites and squirming things. So, which, which is, is what, something like half that... the monsters are in the world. Below. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, uh, like I mentioned before, when we were starting uh, just to chat, uh, I also delve in that. Like, I do enjoy The Last of Us, but it scares me out of right. me. And uh, so, I think that part of being a writer that. Uh, Goes on creating monsters, be it for fantasy or horror or any flavor of both, is to uh, tap into your own fears as well. 
And so mm -hmm. there's, uh, I know it's very popular and it was also nice to see the uh, spectacular art of the fungal on that, the, the show knock around the I love below that one. pages. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so that's uh, the fungal that are there, and they tend to be uh, as singular antagonist very very weak. But I can tell you in a somewhat of a spoiler thing that they are not the end of the chain of fungi menaces on the world below. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, there's a lot of parasites, a lot of worms, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, I think my favorite antagonists, they tend to be... Uh, the Rust Knights are a, an old friend of mine that I'm very good to have found on a gnome, like I said. Mm -hmm. I do like the Amaxi, the Vampire's Manifestation before, and the Wyrm sect as well, because I, I'm a kaiju fan. I like big monsters. I always make big monsters if you give me the opportunity, no matter the game. Uh, I think that... Uh, to complete the four or five that I mentioned before, me, my other favorites are the Clota. They are a race, uh, a, a people, invading people, a, alien people from the abyss. That right. they do flee from the abyss in the same way that people are fleeing from the surface. And uh, they are sort of uh, like... Uh, made of animated tar, a mixture of tentacles and that sort of stuff. They are an alien menace that work as people together. So I'm very fond of them. And they also eat brains, which is always cool from uh, for antagonists. So they're yeah. nice and I think people will love them. They become uh, like the Maxi. They make, they are the sort of antagonists you can base an, an entire campaign around. Yeah, they reminded me of a mixture of, um, like, you know, the, the, the Mind Flayer Parasite situation. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of that, yes. But, but also, all I could think of when I was reading their description was, do y'all do you remember Fern Gully? And the, it's like, a bit of that. I only remember Fern Gully uh, in relation to uh, feeling it, that it was very similar to Avatar. Well, the Avatar a, was very similar yeah. to it, rather. Oh, yeah. yeah. The way I describe the Kota is like uh, a crossing point between uh, uh, general cosmic horror, uh, the Mind Flayers, and also the symbiotes from Marvel, like Venom and Carnage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the like symbiotes. That's how yeah. I made them. Uh, I also like the Star Bearers that they gave, give the name to the very fancy dice we get in the campaign for the War Below, which are. Uh, sort of uh, uh, tall sort of giants with a eldritch star in place of their head and they cause people nightmares that last for their entire lifetime so that's also nice oh that's that's nice that's that's something that i definitely <laughs> want is a nightmare that lasts forever which i mean i think is just life but you know <laughs> <laughs> Th those are probably my favorite favorites of all my babies in there and uh, i love them all so i'll be honest <laughs> I, I bet you are probably one of the most excited people for illustrations, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, it's always uh, very cool uh, to see that stuff. To to get the cover with the worms that was a wow moment, and also that fungal undead that uh, certainly gathered at some pledges was uh, was striking as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I am I'm a fan of the fungal undead. I, I'm a big fan of the Starbearer dice. They're very cool. 
Uh, it's one of those campaigns that I'm like, yes, I work here, but also I'm probably just going to back it and get all the cool stuff because I want a bag <laughs> and I want dice. I love I love things that I can hold in yeah. my hand from campaigns. Uh, I, I was I was keep going I, with the add-ons that I had to stop myself at some point because <laughs> it was getting a bit too much. <laughs> Right? Yeah, no, I'm definitely like, okay, so I would like all of these things, but I don't have all of the money. Yeah. <laughs> but for, now, for now, my pledge is a deluxe copy, a screen, and the dice, and I had to stop there. But it's already a, a very cool uh, loot to get. And for those listening, we do get comp copies of our books we just don't get the deluxes as comp copies yes uh, so i'll get a like copy to back eventually the yeah so <laughs> yeah, like exactly. a lot of us like to back for the deluxes like i backed for the deluxe essence even though I yes it. same here I, I backed for the deluxe world below because you know i was like yeah i know i'm gonna get a regular copy of it but that deluxe cover looks super cool and yeah, yeah. you know that's another way to, to support I, it. I want the screen because I'm very fond of screens. And uh, since I'm there, I might as well get the dice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I have one of the bags from Essence. And I definitely want the like green and black world below bag uh, because when Mike sent mock-ups around to the team, that was the one that all of us were like, this design fucks. Like, this design is so good. <laughs> please, please make yeah. that sale. It's really, really awesome. So, yeah, no, I, I, I love all the stuff that we've done with this campaign. I think that it really was a good one to kind of branch out a little bit on and add add some new, you know, griblies, as my boyfriend calls them. Any any collector's edition type stuff that comes with a thing is a gribbly in our house. Uh, so, yeah. I want Yeah, I, I had a friend tell me, but since you're getting a writer's copy, why, why are you getting the deluxe one, which you'll have to pay for? And I just... Uh, Told him you don't understand. Leave my house now. So <laughs> <laughs> we love what we work on. Like one of the, one of the best things about working in the RPG industry is that like you 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 truly like what you do yeah. and you want to play the end product and you want to own the end product and that's awesome. Like that's that's a good thing. Most of us are fans. Like that's how you get into this job, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. and I, I would even go so far as to say it would be a very difficult industry to work in if we weren't. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. no, nobody's nobody's getting rich uh, making role playing games. You know, we're doing it because we because we love it, and uh, we're very fortunate uh, that we you know some of us get to uh, you know eat off of it and pay our bills off of it. Uh, in our last episode, uh, we decided that it would be the worst money laundering scheme. Uh. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yeah, it would be real bad. It would be good. it's a good way to lose money. Uh yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. So, Travis, you want to talk to you about the world below or anything else that you've worked on? Where should they find you, follow you, look at your stuff? I'm at Travis Leg pretty much everywhere. Uh I'm mostly uh engaged on Blue Sky and uh Facebook, but I do still maintain a presence on the trash uh, on uh, X, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's way more like I just post broadcasty stuff. Like I, I post out links and don't generally respond a whole lot because uh, because of the aforementioned trash fire. Uh, but anywhere that you look, I'm at Travis Leg, and then you can also find me uh, regularly over at the Onyx Path Twitch. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think you're on our Discord too. I am on the Discord. That is right. I always forget that Discord is uh, like 
a social media platform. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but yes, I am, in fact, uh, pretty active on the Discord. All right. And Michaela? Uh, well, I still exist on that platform formerly known as the Twitter, but I'm basically not there anymore because it's not fun to stand around the trash fire much. Uh, but you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord uh, and also on Tumblr at Ghost of Cinders. I do rant about uh, our games quite a bit in there. I, I think I scored uh, a decent number of pledges from the board below, actually, in there, because I got to, I speak about Dark Fantasy and I got some people in there thanks to that. Mm -hmm. at, uh, about things that uh, I like to... What a little bit, uh, I'll go for the stuff I'm a developer of. So I'll say that uh, I worked on the God Companion alongside the always awesome uh, Iromikota, and that's mm -hmm. gonna be a very nice element for uh, Scion God when it comes out. And also worked on uh, the Eternaut collection, uh, the Eater Companion for Trinity Continuum Eater. So mm -hmm. Victorian goodness of all kinds, and we go heavy on the Gothic in here and there because I was the developer and I feel I influenced a lot of people. And mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, I think that soon uh, at least the backers will get to see they came from the Cyclops' cave in its PDF form. I'm so excited about that one. I want to play a puppet. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. If you've not yet done so go to back or care right now and back uh the game Cyclops it's game. looking it's great already i have to say and sometime in the future a supplement for cyclops escape called they came from which for the academy which will come out as well which mm -hmm. if for all your needs uh, magical school from the whole wows to little witch academia and whatnot and i'll say to dixie that we could we didn't manage to make uh, uh, Jarrett from Labyrinth in the core Cyclops' <laughs> cave, but that, that was something missing that I made a point to solve in Witchford Academy. Yay! <laughs> Labyrinth's my fave. There was a point in time in high school where I could recite it, like literally, because I watched it Ooh, so much. Nice. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite that level of fangirl anymore, but there's a mixture of being into dark fantasy and being really into David Bowie that yeah. just, you know, was a thing for a while. <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's fair. And it, I mean, it is one of the finest fantasy films ever made. It's really good. Yeah, no, I, I rewatch it occasionally. Um, still, as you know, at, at, at the age of 38, every now and then I'm like, Labyrinth, that'd be fun to watch. Uh, that said, you can find me everywhere at Dixie Sinai. Talk to me about, you know, David Bowie if you want, or The World Below, or Cyclops Gave, or any of our games on our Discord. You can find us at theonyxpath.com, pretty much everywhere on social media as The Onyx Path. And as always, Many worlds, one path gap.